Hello and welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. My name is Adam, your host. This week I am talking to Rob Leahy. Rob has a huge amount of experience in the tennis racket stringing and customization business. He's worked in shops for for a lot of years. He's also worked at several uh, professional events as a stringer, as well as discussing various bits of, of Rob's own tennis journey and how he he got into the the world of stringing. He, uh, Rob also gives us a a lot of advice, a lot of great advice, both for people who might be interested in getting involved in stringing themselves, and also to players who are looking to make the most out of their rackets, out of their strings, and to learn a bit more about various things related to that, such as tension, such as the different types of strings, why you might choose one over the other. There really is a lot of great advice in this episode. I really found it very, very informative. I I took a lot from this. I hope you do enjoy this episode as well and find it interesting and find it really useful, as I think you will. So here we go. Here is Rob Leahy. All right. So, Rob, uh, a big thanks for for coming on the podcast um, today. How are things with you? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Adam. Very good. Um, I'm looking forward to getting home out of the heat here, but in general, no complaints out here yet. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, and I just want to start um, briefly touch on something that I know you are working on at the moment, uh, along with your other bits and pieces, is wood tennis, and which obviously is is, is wood tennis rackets. Um, so tell me a little bit about your involvement with wood tennis. I know you know you string the rackets sometimes. Yeah, I'm stringing the rackets. So wood tennis was um, about three years ago, I think was the first conversation of wood tennis. It was done by um, a gentleman in Australia, Steve, <coughs> Stephen Murphy. I don't know where he got the notion or why, but he got curious as to whether Greys, who were one of the prominent makers of rackets, was still doing it. Mm. Had a conversation with them, they were. So he then, between Greys and himself, came up with a design for a racket. Um, My involvement came about when this year, earlier this year, uh, a good friend of mine from Cork, uh, through Facebook, I imagine, had a chat with Stephen. and he subsequently has become director of Wood Tennis um, or Wood Tennis Club is what it's actually officially called. Um, to, to string the rackets is where I've gotten involved. To string them, it requires a lot of, of knowledge and care because it's not like the rackets we're doing nowadays. There's a certain pattern to it. They're obviously a little bit more fragile. So because I've grown up with Steve, I've worked with Steve O'Sullivan and Cork, um, Steve contacted me and asked me would I be interested in stringing them. So I was delighted to because it, it's not every day you get to string a wood tennis racket, never mind a, a new wood tennis racket. Yeah. So that's where I've gotten involved in it as, as the official stringer. Yeah, no, I think it's a, a cool project and like a, it's a cool thing to, to have going on and something that I think will, will, will do well and, and spread. Um, and I think it's, it's definitely a good one. Um, now, I just want to, to Rob, to, to get into maybe your, your background a bit in, in, in tennis and, and also in stringing. So where did... Did tennis start for you and then how did you then move into kind of the stringing and the the, the racket side of, of tennis? Tennis started for me when I was um, I think eight we swapped houses with my grandparents who live next to a tennis court so it started uh, with a wood tennis racket on hard courts um, and just progressed from there I played I didn't really travel as a junior to play many tournaments um, I think I made my first monster team under 18 um, and then it kind of I started playing an awful lot more as senior um, played in Caprosa senior, um, and then as a vet, I got picked for the, the Irish team to go to Turkey. So, but I, I love tennis. I love the individuality of it, the, the competitiveness of one v one. 
But I really also, I mean, I'm very passionate about Interpro Tennis. I, I love being part of that setup, being part of the team. Um, so, and like the other, I suppose, main thing that I love about tennis is you can travel anywhere in the world. You can meet people, you get involved in things. Um, so it's a great social outlet as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then in terms of, of moving in down to stringing, how, how did that happen for you? So with stringing, I started work in a sports shop in Cork in um, Maher Sports in 1991, late 1991, actually with Steve O'Sullivan, who was the Wood Tennis Club. Yeah. Um, and that's where I started stringing. We were shown inside the shop there how to string. Um, and it progressed from there. So I had been stringing, I suppose, in Mars for about 10, 15 years. And I came across a course that had run up in Dublin. Um, I missed the course. I'd seen it afterwards. So it was run by the former head stringer of the Wimbledon Championships. Okay. So I contacted him. His name was Liam Nolan. He's an Irishman actually living in the UK. Contacted Liam and said, I missed the course. Will you please let me know the next time you're coming over? I'd love to do the course. Yeah. So he said, look, get a few people together, get numbers. I'll come over. We'll do it. So I organized that for him. We did it in Rushbrook and Cove, my own club. Um, a little bit arrogantly, I went to the thing because I've been stringing for 15 years. And at that stage, you're thinking, well, it's a racket and a machine. What's I learned more in the first hour from him than I had in the 15 years previously. So you found out there's a right way to do it, a wrong way, how to improve the performance of it. It just opened up a huge minefield to me. And what really woke me up then was I was working in a shop advising people. And here I was doing things wrong and probably giving the wrong advice. So I, I really enjoyed this course. The one thing that disappointed me about the course that we did was there was a certificate awarded at the end of the course that said you were a professional stringer. There was a few people in the room with me who had never strung a racket before, and they left with the same cert as me. So that kind of got me thinking, look, there has to be something more to it than this. So when I went looking, I found there's two main stringing bodies. One is a European, one is a US. Um, so I got in touch with both of them. Yes, they did exams. I had to go to England for them. So with the US one, you do what's called a master racket technician, and that covers stringing and customizing. Uh, the European one, they were the same kind of affiliation at one stage and then they broke apart. So the European one is more, um, they break it down in stages. So I had to do what was called the, the professional stringer certificate. And uh, then you move on to the master professional stringer. Um, and then my, the latest one I've done is the pro tour stringer. So that requires you to do so many rackets in a certain length of time. They all have to be exactly the same pattern, exactly the same tension. Um, and then they get tested at the end of it. And then you also have to do theory tests with them. So that will incorporate the knowledge of rackets, the knowledge of strings, how they match together, how they complement each other. Um, and it's just it's just become nearly a fatuation kind of since then. But it's yeah, it's, yeah I've, I really enjoy it. It's very interesting. Yeah, I guess you've, you've come a long way since that first course. And I guess that was sort of a sort of a, a turning point in in sort of it came, I guess it became more more serious for you, the stringing, and, and you started to to learn more and, and get more experience with it. It did, and it woke me up to the fact that, and, and this isn't this been disrespectful to people in shops or people who have machines at home, but just because you have a machine doesn't mean you know how to string. Um, and like I can speak that from experience. I did 15 years of stringing. And then all of a sudden found out, actually, there's a proper way to do this. Mm. Um, and that's where kind of I, I, I would like then to promote kind of people should be doing courses or should look to do a course rather than just buy a machine and I'm a stringer. 
Yeah, yeah. And and tell me then. So as as you got a bit more experience, I guess, I guess you started working in, in in some tournaments. Do you remember kind of some of those first first tournaments that you would have strung in? Maybe Ireland, or maybe yeah, in or Ireland I'd have done because Rushbrook hosted um the ETAs and the ITFs. I would have strung at a lot of those. Um and being honest, I would have strung at them prior to doing the mm. courses. So again, you would have done what you had been doing, thinking was a good job or what was the correct way to do things. Um, since then, since I've moved out here, Doha, even though it doesn't have tennis clubs, it has one massive tennis facility um, and they host an awful lot of ITF events over the course of the year, senior futures events, and then as well as an ATP and a WTA. So I, I've strung at a lot of the futures events. Um, and even at that, it, it's amazing the things you're asked to do, how observant some players are and how even at that level, some of them are yeah. oblivious to what they're getting done. Um, but yeah, so it's been futures events is what I've really done out here. Uh, and very enjoyable, very different, very enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. And and in terms of, do you have kind of so, some of those stories you kind of alluded to maybe the difference in, 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 in kind of people that you'd have at the events or so some stories of, of some maybe some some big players some some events or some like so some interesting experiences you've had what i found is some of them are very superstitious um some of them want their knots done in the same place want the logo uh, sprayed on mm. on a certain number of strings down all small little details that were very superstitious like you'd see with nadal on the court with his bottles yeah. and all these guys are the same the knots have to be in the same place space in the same way same length um I mean, I had one guy who he gave me, he wanted natural gut done and he wanted it done. So it's a pattern of 16 strings by 19 strings. He only wanted it done on 14 of the main strings. And then the outer two main strings he wanted done with the polyester. I'd never come across it before. Um, so it's interesting little things like that. The, the main thing that you find with the pro players, and it's something that people of all standards should pay attention to is they, they insist on consistency is huge to them. So if they go into a stringing room, they'll want the same stringer on the same machine every single time. Yeah. They don't want to swap machines. They don't want to swap stringers because once they're happy with the feel of the racket, that's what they want then the next time. Because each stringer, whether you're qualified professionally or not, everyone will do it slightly differently. And if I string slightly slower than someone else, then the racket is going to feel slightly different as well. But what the players want, no matter what the level is, consistency and that way they'll have the same feel every single time they play yeah yeah and, and how are those experiences then that those weeks of, of being at a say a, a professional futures event like how does that compare to your 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 normal i guess work kind of in a shop or, or kind of stringing more more yeah it's very different it's, it's literally it's not as glamorous as you might think because you're literally in a room with a few other stringers and uh, sometimes the players come in themselves other times it's just left at the reception uh, and the sheet is dropped in but it, it's fairly continuous. I mean, like the, you would be in there. So they start practice. They might start at 9 a.m. They could start practicing at 7, which means you have to be there at 6 because they want they might want a racket strong fresh for practice. Um, and you don't leave until the last match is finished. Yeah. So it, it's long days. Um, depending on as the week comes towards the, the a close, obviously it's less, but it's still you have to wait till the last match. So you could have hours in there where you're not stringing at all. Yeah. Or you could have 10 rackets handed at one time and five of them want it within an hour, which yeah. it is impossible. But so <laughs> there's various demands arrive on you. Um, and it's completely different each day, which is the interesting thing about it. 
Yeah, yeah. So it can be perhaps the, the stress levels might get high at some points during the week compared to, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And when yeah. you're working with certain strings, like natural gut is one string where it requires an awful lot more attention, a lot more care. Um, and as certain players are using it in hybrids, especially if they're kind of they're on court and they want it sent out straight away, yeah, you your stress level goes up a little bit then because yeah. it takes a little bit longer. You have to be a little bit more careful with it. And it's um but that and that's again, that's part and parcel of, of doing the course I spoke about. One of the things you have to do to go to the pro tour level is you have to string string uh, three rackets in a certain length of time with various tensions, with various patterns, um, just so that you're up to the pressure element of it. Yeah. So yeah. And so you mentioned you you're living in, in living in and working in, in Doha now. So how long ago did you make that move and, and I guess why? Or what what, what, um, what what brought you to Doha? It was my wife's job brought us to Doha. Um, okay. So my wife's a doctor. It was her job brought us out here to Doha. Um, I had been working in the sports shop, like I said. They, it wasn't doing great, to be honest, at the time they offered redundancies. So it just suited hmm. kind of, right, if we're ever going to do it, now's the time to do it. And that's kind of, so that was 2015, August 2015. Okay. okay. Um, and we've been here since. So we have another couple of years here and then back home. Okay, right, right. And, and I know you mentioned that the kind of system in Doha is a bit bit different to what we're used to here in Ireland um, in terms of kind of not being clubs so much. So like how is, yeah. apart from the swinging side, how was the kind of the experience of tennis in Doha and playing yourself and, and all that side of it been? Initially, I found it very, very difficult. Um, like I said, there is no tennis clubs, so you can't go and join and become part of a social group or meet new people to play with. Um, when I arrived here first, I came across a website called Global Tennis Network. You go on, you register, you put down what grade you are, what ITN grade you are, um, but people's opinions of their game is, is huge. Um, so I went out to play the first few games and I was playing people who who weren't great, who weren't of a decent standard, but had yeah. themselves rated very highly. So after kind of, a, after the first year here, I suppose, I started to meet a few people and we said, look, we'll get a little league together so that we, we know who we have and who we're playing. And so we did that and that started with 12 and then, each year it's kind of grown to the current league just finished and I have about up to three divisions of 150 players. So right. I have plenty of people to play with now. No problem, yes. sir. Very good. Very good. And yeah, so I guess over the years of, of swinging and it's, um, you have a lot of experience now, well, what do you think are a couple of those, those biggest things that you've, you, you've learned uh, doing the job? The, the most important thing. So when, when we've kind of done the courses, the one thing that, We've, we're told there's three rules that a stringer has to kind of adhere to. That you don't damage the frame, you don't damage the string and consistency. Um, and like damaging the frame, you might think it's not going to happen often. It depends on how you handle it. It depends on the machine and stuff like that. It also depends on your knowledge of the strings because if you're pulling strings too tight, not tight enough, uh, mixing two different strings at two different tensions, you can damage the string as well or damage the frame as well. If you string the racket incorrectly, as in there's certain techniques for stringing the racket and patterns in which you're supposed to do it and order in which you're supposed to do things. If you do that consistently the, the wrong way, you're gonna damage the frame. If you do it the wrong way once, that's fine. But if I'm stringing your racket with Adam and I string it for you once every couple of weeks and I'm consistently doing it the wrong way, mm. I'm stressing the frame, I'm damaging the frame. So I've learned that the proper technique not to damage the frame how you handle the string, certain strings are very delicate, like I mentioned about natural gut, a very delicate string. Uh, multi-filament would be another delicate enough string. So it's how you handle the string, how you weave it, 
that you don't just rip it across and start shredding it or friction burning the strings. Um, and then consistently, like I said earlier, that's the most important thing. So that the racket plays and feels the same every single time. Yeah, yeah. Now we're going to come on in a couple of minutes, Rob, just to touch on, I guess, some advice for, for just your, your kind of your normal players around the place who just in terms of strings, in terms of rackets, et cetera. Um, but before we do that, um, what advice would you have for people who would be interested in getting into the stringing side of it themselves, who, who might be interested in buying a, a machine or maybe they, they have access to a machine, something like that, who might be interested in stringing some rackets? Well, what's advice? For yeah. You? The, the biggest advice I'd say is go and do a recognized course. Whether you want to get a qualification or not, that's up to you. Like the benefit of the qualification, it would be the way I put it to people is you can walk on a tennis court with a basket of balls. That doesn't make you a coach. Yeah. You've got to go through the, the routine. You've got to learn the bits and pieces. The same applies to a stringer. Just because you have a machine at home doesn't make you a stringer. So the biggest advice I'd give to people, and again, coming from my experience of, of doing it wrong for 10 to 15 years, is go and do a course. Um, and yeah. ask the questions and look for a reliable source of information like the problem with the internet is you can find some amazing things you can find some absolutely horrendous things yeah um, so the internet isn't unless you know the person unless you've at, been at a course and you've got that person's name and they have some youtube videos or whatever it's dangerous because like to give you an example i was watching on youtube recently there was um at a professional tournament in america they were doing an interview, a live interview with a guy, the stringer, he's standing there at the machine and he's stringing and he was stringing the racket wrong. So like you would assume this guy who's stringing at professional tournaments knows what he's talking about, knows what he's doing. And here he is in terms of stringers worldwide, he is doing something wrong with the racket. Um, so find a reliable source and then stick with it. Um, and I suppose the last thing I'd say to them is when you do get a machine and if you're gonna start stringing for other people, you now have a responsibility. Yeah. You have a responsibility to, to offer them the best service you can. You're going to be expected to know about the equipment and the, the different types of strings and stuff. Um, so it isn't just like I know it can be seen as a way of kind of topping up your income or a little bit of pocket money. But you do now have a responsibility to the people you're stringing for. So I suppose if you're going to start that down that route, don't buy cheap equipment, don't buy cheap strings. Uh, and do a bit of research, do a little bit of learning. Um, yeah. And you'd be amazed how, how quick you'll grow a little business around it then. Yeah, yeah. And then you mentioned just uh, when you're talking about that, kind of getting kind of reliable sources of, of information and kind of good sound advice. And I guess that that also applies very much to people who aren't interested in stringing, just interested in their own rackets and their own strings and stuff. So I guess to bring it to, to that side of it, what, what kind of advice would you have for that of, of where to get advice, where to find good information and stuff like that? The first thing I'd say to you on that, and again, this, this happens from like day one when I was working in the shop to now, an awful lot of people, because they don't have themselves any knowledge of strings or rackets, they tend to just go and give the racket to the person who's stringing and say, whatever you think yourself. That, that's not going to help you. So like there, there is no two players the same. Yeah. You can't string, I can't string my racket the same way for me as I would for you because I don't know your game. You're obviously a lot younger, you're a lot more agile. You're probably going to be hitting the ball harder than I am. So everyone is different. So there is no best string or there's no such thing as a best racket. It's what's best for you, what's most suitable for you. So like you can go to, I suppose your easiest thing is, is type in string and associations and you will come up straight up, you'll come up with, URSA, which is the European one, or the USRSA. Once you have those two associations, 
the information you're finding there is correct. Um, yeah. It's put on by qualified stringers. So I suppose that would be the, the best thing I could say to you is look at a reputable site rather than looking at YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm definitely guilty myself of being under-informed just in general of, of this kind of stuff. And, and obviously you mentioned the courses, just to bring it back to that. And I know like you, you, you kind of come home to, to Cork over the summer and you do some courses. So do you want to say a little bit about um, your own stuff during the summer? Yeah, so I was for a while... Um, Ursa, I was the training manager for Ireland for Ursa, which is the European Stringers Association. The problem being out here and only home for two months, it wasn't really feasible. So what I've done for the last, I've done a few courses for them. I did one in Dublin where it was very well attended. Um, and I tend to do kind of one every year in Cork. And what I found over the last few years is it, it isn't just people who are there to learn about stringing. I found a few of them are coaches arriving in which is brilliant to get some more information for themselves so that they can pass on the, the correct information. So they're wanting to know about different strings, uh, about the rackets, the different weights, how a string works with a certain racket. Um, and that's all part of the course as well, because if, if you are going to do a stringers course, one of the things that's involved in it is it's not just the stringing. It's the understanding of how a string and a racket works together and how certain strings complement certain rackets what can usually affect the performance of another racket if it's the wrong string. So the courses cover all that aspect of it. We do a little bit of theory for an hour or so in the morning, and then we get on the machine stringing. And you find when you're on the machine stringing, there's still plenty of questions. They're asking all the time. So if I put this into this racket, so it's a good day. It's a very relaxed day. It's an informative day. Um, last year, I kind of, I only did it in Cork, obviously, because of COVID. This year, we'll see what happens. I don't know how how free you are to travel again and how easy it is to get a venue um so we'll see but yeah i've done it for the last few years it's been very interesting um and we'll see hopefully i get something done over the summer again yeah yeah totally and and you mentioned there i guess about coaches being people who are informed and um, who'd be going to your courses who would uh would slash should be informed and all this stringing um stuff so well, what do you have to say on that, on coaches and um, being informed on, on these kind of matters and how that is, how that could be improved, perhaps? Yeah, well, like, again, like I worked in the shop for 22 years and I was very lucky in that we had a very good group of coaches in, in Cork. Um, and the way it works well, and this is the thing, is it, it's how everyone works together rather than me being an authority or they being an authority. If we can get kind of everyone working together, then we can get the best of the results. Where I was very lucky was... I had a group of coaches who they would send their kid in to me to buy a racket or they would or to get the racket strung, whichever the case may be. And they would send them in, they would either phone ahead and talk to me that the kid was coming or that their parent or adult, whoever that they were coaching. They would tell me the game style of the person. They're a big long swing, they're an aggressive player or they've short, they're, they're looking for a racket. So I had the coach's knowledge, which is hugely important because they're the ones who are on court with them. They see how they play. Um, I would know the equipment, but I might know your game. So I can't turn around based on just someone walking into the shop and say, uh, this is the racket for you. So we need the information from all sorts of things. Uh, and that's where I'd like to see the coaches have a massive responsibility in the sense they're seen as an authority. They're on court. They're teaching the person how to play. It's a kind of a logical step for the person then to say, what racket should I use or what string should I use? Um, and like I said earlier with the stringer, that becomes a responsibility. You can't just say, oh, that rack will do you because I'm using it. Or you have to know why you're saying that. And um, even last week, I had, I won't mention the name, but I had 
one of kind of a very prominent coach in Ireland sent me a message um, with a few questions. He had a kid wanting to up weight, come up to a heavier weight and rack it. I love that because that shows me not only is he a top coach, he's actually genuinely interested in the person that he's not just automatically saying, oh, this racket will do you, off you go. Yeah. Um, and it's great that he's reached out and he's asked that, but I would love to see the association, the coaches association, put that into the curriculum yeah. and kind of say, right, there's a basic level of knowledge of strings and rackets for level one, for level two and three, as you're traveling performance players, understand the different temperatures, the different surface you're playing on, and then how you adjust tension and, and stuff for that, small little tweaks. Uh, I did a survey recently, or not a survey, a questionnaire to some of the our better players in Ireland over the years, Conor Nyland, Dave O'Hare, Gina, Yvonne Doyle, uh, Owen Casey and Karen Nugent. And they all came back. And the one thing was they all commented on how they adjusted their tension. Um, some of them commented on their customization, what they would do with the rackets. Um, but they had great knowledge. So for me, I was doing a little piece for a blog that I do. Uh, for me to be able to tap into that information from those players is, is fabulous. And again, if the coaches or the coaches association more could tap into that type of thing, it will benefit everyone. Um, because now you have the correct advice without someone walking blindly into a shop, picking up a racket that doesn't suit them or getting strings put into a racket that are now giving them tennis elbow. Um, yeah. it, it makes sense to me that it's put into the curriculums. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for me, the takeaway there is definitely I'm, I'm going to try and get myself to some, some sort of stringy course and just try and get and get as, as informed as possible. I think there's definitely whether or not it finds its way into a, an official curriculum, I think, is is one question. But I think I definitely would like to, to, to do that anyway. Um, and yeah, now, of course, yeah, take it individually onto themselves. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've exactly. had quite a few coaches over the last few years that have come not really with an interest in becoming stringers. They've mm. strung the rackets on the day, but their questions, you can tell from the questions that they're asking, they're looking for this information. Um, and like, I have brilliant, I'm delighted that they're coming and they're asking, but they're having to come to a stringing course to find this information. Yeah. Uh, so it's a great reflection on them that they're doing it themselves. Uh, and I think there's a huge number of coaches that are doing that themselves as well. Um, so hopefully that continues. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and to move in now, Rob, a little bit to, I guess, more kind of advice, general advice for, for your players, maybe your club players, just people who who want to know a bit more about, about the rackets, about the strings, about, about various bits of the equipment. Um, and to start with, I guess, rackets. Um, if, if you are looking to buy a racket, what are the main things that you want to be looking out for? What, what are the main differences between different rackets? And how should you go about making a good decision on a racket? First thing I would say, and it's one that when you come across again over years of experience, you'll speak to someone in the shop um, and they'll tell you, you'll ask them a few questions, what's your game style? Are you a hard hitter? Are you more controlled, precise player? Um, the majority will say they're a hard hitter. So you look at a certain category of rackets and then they buy a racket and they go. And a few weeks later at a tournament, you see them on court and without being disrespectful, they're not hitting the ball hard at all at all. So my first bit of advice is, if you're going to buy a racket or if you're going to get strings, is be honest with your assessment of your own game, right? So your coach will tell you, ask your coach, you're going off to buy a racket, how would you describe my game? And they will tell you, you're an aggressive person with a big long swing, you swing fast. Then we look for a heavier racket, kind of 300 grams plus. They're called headlight rackets. 
Um, and what they are is they're more based on offering control to your game. So they're better balanced rackets. There's more weight in the handle of the racket. Um, and the, flame, the frame isn't as, as stiff. There's a little bit more flex in the frame. So it allows the person swing with their long, fast swing aggressively at the ball. And the ball isn't going to fly off out of control. Um, so that's kind of 300 grams upwards would, would be categorized as that. Then the, the, the other side of the spectrum, there, there's two very popular sides, so head light and head heavy. Balanced isn't the biggest area in the world. So head light would be the other, and that would be a range of rackets that would be kind of 260 grams or less. Um, and that can also move into the oversized rackets, the big oversized rackets. Now, the one thing with oversized rackets is they're not for juniors. There, there's benefits in them. There's a bigger sweet spot. They're more powerful. The problem, if you put that into a junior's hand, is as the junior starts growing and developing, they've now lost all control because it's a big trampoline effect that applies. So in that range of rackets, kind of up to 265, what you'll find is you'll find the majority of the weight is in the head of the racket. So it's like a hammer. When you're driving the nail, you've got all the weight coming through the point. It's the same with tennis. You have all the weight in the head of the racket. So when you're swinging, it's driving it through the, the ball. It would be for the person with the shorter swing, the not as powerful person. So it's a lighter racket. It's easier for them to maneuver. And now because the weight is coming through the ball, it gives them that bit more power that they wouldn't necessarily have in their game. You put that into someone with the long, fast swing and they're hitting the back fence every single time. Uh, and in the middle range of rackets, kind of 265 to 295, it is a better balanced racket. So you're getting kind of the features of both. You still haven't got it as heavy, so it's still maneuverable, but you still have that extra little bit of weight that's going to help you with the control side of things. So to make the best decision, like I said, is be honest with yourself. We're not all Roger Federer and Serena Williams. We're, we're hitting the ball 100 miles an hour. We've got to understand our game, and then that makes it easier. And the more honest you are with the sales assistant, the easier it is for them to show you a range of rackets that will suit you then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess some similar, some of that advice, I guess, will be similar um, when we move on to touch on, on strings in terms of, I guess, the game style and, and that side of it. But I guess before you go into, into that, I guess, could you maybe just describe the, the main different types of strings and the differences between? Yeah. So predominantly, there, there's kind of, I suppose, five categories. There's nylon, or it's also called synthetic gut. There's multifilament. There's polyester. There's natural gut. And there's a new one called polyamide. Now, in Ireland, when I was growing up, um, and still very much so, even when I go home now for the summer and I get rackets to string, nylon synthetic gut, it's still very popular. The, the thing with it is, it's an all-round string. It's not really game-specific. Um, so it's not kind of in the power end of things. It's not in the control end of things. It's, it's what's called a monofilament, but it's, it's softer than, we'd say, the monofilament polyester. Uh, so it's an all-round string. I would put it into a social player's racket. I wouldn't be putting it into a, a performance player's racket. Um, your next one then would be what's called multi-filament. Multi-filament is, um, as the name sa says, it's multiple filaments wrapped around each other. It's a cheaper version of natural gut. So it's a copy of natural yeah. gut, um, but it's just that bit more affordable. Uh, so it, it's very much a power string, very good elasticity in it. Um, very easy on the arm. So if someone is suffering from arm problems, multifilament is the only string they should be using. Um, you move on polyester, which is predominantly now co-poly. Polyester was the stiffer version 
Whereas now with all the technologies, they've softened it so it's more co-poly. But even when I say soften it, it's still a control string. It's still stiff. In comparison to multifilament, they're chalk and cheese, they're opposite ends of the spectrum. So polyester would be for a person who's looking for control. Um, it's a stiff string. It means when the ball hits the string, the ball deforms. So the ball loses all its energy. You have to be swinging fast. If you haven't got a fast swing, a long aggressive swing, like we said, for the heavier rackets, then polyester is not going to benefit of you at all at all. The main benefits of polyester are control, are spin, and they advertise durability, which is something I'll, I'll come back to in a second. The spin aspect of it is the strings are so um, polished, they're so slick that they have a snapback effect. So when you swing fast enough, the strings catch the ball, they follow the ball down and snap back up, and that's what accelerates it out for the spin. So it is a massive feature of it. That's why Nadal uses it all the time. It's all about spin with control. Mm. Natural gut is the best of the best. It's premium. It's the, the production side of natural gut is the reason it's so expensive. And if you ever saw it made, you'd understand all the time it takes to do it. But it's got the best features in terms of power. It's very comfortable. It's got a good level of control for a soft string. Um, and an awful lot of the pros now are starting to use natural gut again with polyester. So they're mixing it with their polyester string where it had always been natural gut for the pros. And then it took a big jump to polyester. And now a huge number of them are coming back to what's called a hybrid when you mix polyester with natural gut. And the last one I spoke about was polyamide. Polyamide is a new one to the market. It's out kind of in the last maybe seven, eight years. It's a fabulous string for a junior transitioning from a softer string to a poly, a co-poly string rather than taking that big step. So polyamide is a mixture of polyester and nylon fibers. So you've got kind of two, the best of two in one string. So it's not as stiff on the arm as a copoly, and it's not as soft as a multifilament, but it's kind of giving you the best of both. So it's a nice kind of stepping stone from one to the other. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. And just the one thing I, I did mention earlier, durability. The, all the polyester strings, all the polyester brands will sell their string on the basis of the polyester strings on the, the basis of durability. Mm. To a parent, that's fabulous, because if you're paying your child's coaching fees and everything else and they're breaking strings at a, at a big rate then you obviously want a bit of durability what the brands don't tell you is that the string loses its tension quicker than any other string as it's losing tension it's losing performance polyester is already a stiff string which sends a lot of shock and vibration into your arm that's what causes the the problems with tennis elbow so as the string is losing tension that's all amplified that's all increased so now what you've got to weigh up is the durability factor versus the performance factor. Yeah. Is it worth having the string in the racket for a long time and the performance of the racket is decreasing the whole time or that you are breaking a string that little bit more often, but yet your performance is, is higher. So it's just something to take into account. Durability isn't always better. Yeah, yeah. No, okay, very good. A couple of questions just coming from that. Uh, firstly is, and now obviously you have the crosses and you have the mains and so some people would get different strings in in the crosses and different strings in the mains um could you just tell me a little bit about the difference between them and why you might go different strings why you might go the same so the main strings of the racket the long strings from top to bottom they dictate the feel of the racket so for argument's sake if i used a hybrid a mixture so if i put polyester in the main strings and natural gut in the crosses 
I'm asking the racket to give me more control because that's what's in the mainstrings. Putting the, the natural gut into the crosses gives me more comfort. It gives me a little bit more, a, a bit of easier power, but more comfort than having it, we'd say, fully done in, in polyester. Uh, if I reverse that, which is what the Federer has done, Federer was the one who really kind of started doing the reverse. So having natural gut in the mains, I increase the power. Um, and then the polyester and the crosses helps me with the control side of things. So when you look at, we'd say, and this is one of the things I try and get across to some coaches that I'd speak to or some players that I'd speak to who are, are insisting on, no, no, polyester, that's what the pros are using. That's, it's not all what the pros are using. Yes, definitely, some are using full polyester. But to understand that if you have the likes of, so the number one in the world at the moment, Djokovic, is using Luxalan Alupower in the mains and a natural gut in the crosses. So if it's good enough for these players, it's certainly good enough for us as we step down. Yeah. The benefit to him is that obviously he's training every day of the week. So he's got that bit more comfort on his arm because he's got a softer string in. He's got a little bit of easier access to power because he's now got natural gut in it as well. Um, so a hybrid is a very good idea. Um, and a hybrid can be anything. It could be mixing two different thicknesses of the same yeah. string. It can be there's a huge number of things to be done in a hybrid, but it's to understand why you're doing it. And the most important thing is that whatever you put in the main strings, the long strings, that's what dictates the feel of the racket. Okay, yeah. And you mentioned just their thickness of strings. So even once you, if it were a different string, like a specific string, you might have different thicknesses. So could you just very briefly mention what is the main uh, effect of different thicknesses yeah. of strings? So the most common thickness of strings would be gauge six, or 16 and 17 or it might be called 125 and 130. So as you get thicker in a string, you get more control because it firms up a small bit. As you get thinner, you get more power uh, and that's more elasticity. Now that's relative to each string. Again, if I have a 125 gauge in a polyester and I have a 130 gauge in a multifilament, the multifilament is still going to be an awful lot softer. So when you speak on thicknesses of string, you, you have to speak of them within their own category. Um, the same, you have certain strings like Luxlon's Alupower. Power. It's categorized as a power string. It is a powerful string in the polyester category. In terms of power strings, it is still nowhere near as powerful as natural gutter multifilament. And that's an important thing to understand as well. But also with the thickness of string is you have more access to spin. So when you go thinner with the string, you've got more bite on the ball. It grips the ball better. Therefore, there's more access to spin. The thinner okay. string also gives you that bit more power. So it's a nice combination if you do play with a lot of spin, having that, a thinner gauge of string. Okay, interesting one. And now here's Again, another question. Thinner, yeah. thinner will obviously break quicker, Adam. So it's yeah, something yeah, to yeah. be careful of as well. Yeah, yeah. And another question I have is, I, I have two rackets and they're, they're both the same rackets. Um, and in terms of getting them strong, um, it says, hey, I get both of them strong at the same time. Would you recommend then to use them both kind of equally? So to wear the strings similarly, or what's the best way to, to deal with having two or possibly even three rackets or something? Yeah, the best way is to alternate them. If you are going to get them done at the same time as alternate them. Um, to give you an example, one of the things we do on the stringing course to show you how polyester loses its tension quicker. So I string the main strings with the polyester. And like a guitar, while it's on the machine, you can play it and you've got this nice pinging effect like a guitar string. And then we'll string the crosses, we'll tie off the racket, we'll take the racket off the machine. Without doing anything else, I just cut out the crosses straight away. So I cut them right up, pull all the crosses out. And now that nice ping that we had earlier, that's gone. Right. So even 
as you've taken it off the machine, the best performing strings will have already lost about 8% tension. The worst performing strings will have lost about 20%. Uh, and yeah. I think that's why I said to you earlier, if you are going to go into the stringing business, don't buy cheap strings because they, they're the ones that are losing that 20% before it comes off the machine. Yeah. They'll tell you when a racket has lost 25% of its tension or not its tension, its elasticity, then it's not playable. So you can imagine if you're spending money on your racket and you're strung, you're, I'm using cheap string for you. It's already lost 20% before it comes off the machine. You have no time of, of a high level of a racket. So yeah. it, it's important. Yeah, and so I guess something I'm interested in is for, for you who I guess strings a lot of rackets a lot of the time, what, what, what kind of percentage of, of customers would bring a string to you for, to use and what percentage would want to use your one that you have and would you have a recommendation in terms of either of those options? It's, it's more beneficial for the person themselves if they go and buy a reel that they're happy with. Uh, so because you get, it's much better to value to buy a reel. For me out here personally, I have, I would say probably I'm about 60, 40, 60% use my string, 40% okay. bring their own. Hmm. Um, strings are an awful lot more expensive out here. Okay. So okay. the 40% that I have them, some are buying them here and soon after realize my strings are cheaper so they'll only buy it once. Others bring them in from kind of maybe tennis warehouse or wherever else. Um, the one thing what I've done is over the years is I, I carry the main brand. So I obviously have Luxlan, I have Bablot, I have Head, one or two of those. But what I wanted to do, I wanted to find a particular brand that covered the full range for me. Like I spoke a while ago, synthetic gut, natural gut, multifilament. Um, so about three years ago, I got in strings from about five different brands. Um, I tested all of them, kind of played with them, did the string testing on them to see how long they were holding their tension and stuff. And I settled on one brand, uh, Kirschbaum, it's a German brand. They, they're specifically for strings. So the problem when you're someone like that is you don't have a Babolat racket to help boost your sales. So they're not maybe as well known as some others, but the performance of their strings is superb. And the reason I wanted one brand was I can't carry everything. So you might come and look for a Luxalon string. Someone else might come for a Selenko string and you have bits and pieces of everything or you have reels of everything. And it, it's an awful lot of waste. So I wanted to keep the, the, the range functional. Um, so keep your top brands that you, you need to have and then have one brand that offers everything to everybody. Yeah. Um, and what I found by doing that is, yeah, you have to help kind of persuade them initially. Look, it, it isn't a well-known name like a Luxalon, but just give it a try and see how you go. And I would say about 80% of the people that I have tried it have stuck with it. Right. Uh, others yeah. then, no, no, look, I, I'll stick with the Luxalon or I'll stick with the Babolat because it's better known or I have a, a Wilson racket. Now. For, for not kind of, not specific reasons other than I'm happy with what I have. Yeah. Um, so that's the one thing is, you there, and this is what I said to you earlier, there, there is no best brand. There is no best tennis racket there is no best string it's what best for you yeah yeah and to move on a little bit then to tension which is another thing that has a big uh effect once you've once you've chosen a string and you have your racket and all that tension can still have huge kind of variations so what yeah. are i guess typical tensions well, what, what does low tension high tension what kind of effects do they have and i guess they, how does they how do they fit into different game styles as well each racket has a range on it so each rack will have a recommended range. We'll say maybe 50 to 60 pounds. So what the brand is telling you there, what the racket is telling you is that 
at the lowest level, at 50 pounds, this racket will give you most power. Yeah. At 60 pounds, this racket gives you most control. So again, this is where you need then the, the person themselves to speak up and say, listen, this is the racket I'm using. Um, this is the way I play and I'm struggling to keep the ball in court. So right, now we can raise the tension. Um, but when people, a lot of people are embarrassed by it or they won't kind of, yeah, look, whatever you think yourself, you have to have a little bit more specific. So if someone says that to me, the way I talk to them then is say, right, for this racket, we're going to do it middle of the range. Yeah. So now we have something to work from. We have a basis to work from. So when you come back the next time, you can tell me, right, I found the ball was flying too far or it was dropping too short. And now we can adjust from there. But the range on the racket, and it's different to every racket because some rackets, like we spoke, are for power, some are for control. So you might find ranges are lower on one or higher on another. Um, but that's what the, the, the tension range is telling you. Uh, yeah. The lowest number will give you most power. The highest number will give you most control. Okay. Uh, and here's another question that I don't know how well you'll be able to answer. It might be kind of something that's really specific to, to people. But, 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 but say if you're a, a very much kind of a, a, a player who uses a lot of power, are you better off to go for a string that, or a string slash tension slash racket that will produce lots of power and kind of highlight the your your strength, I guess, or or are you better off to go for something that will give you more control and kind of complement the what might what might be your weakness, or is that very much on a case by case basis? Well, I mean, if you're a powerful player anyway, the like what will give you power is if you have a long aggressive swing, hmm. and if you have the right weight of racket in hand. So then to complement that is what i've seen with some people is they they have a very long aggressive string or swing they're a very powerful player and then they put a softer string into the racket and ultimately what you see them doing on court then is they've had to shorten their swing because now they've got a string in the racket that's just sending the ball way too far so they've ended up shortening their swing pushing the ball around more so you would based on your game based on the racket you're using and the explanation then that you give, you would put in a string that will complement that. So for someone who has a long aggressive swing, who's using the right weight of racket, I would be saying to them, we go either a polyester string or we go a hybrid with polyester because that's going to allow them swing still freely um, and it will just enhance that. It might give them a bit more spin, um, but it certainly won't reduce their swing to a push because they've got the wrong string in the racket. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is a, another thing I'm interested in, I guess, in terms of bad habits that maybe your average kind of player will have from a string point of view. And I guess an example might be that, um, like for me personally, obviously we couldn't, we didn't play tennis at all um, for the first about four months of, of, of the year. And my, my rackets at this point haven't been strong since before that. Um, I, I, I couldn't tell you when. And it's like, how bad is that that I'm playing now for a few weeks with a racket that probably the tension, I don't know what that does to tension, things like that, that bad habits that people maybe don't realize how bad they are. Originally, what people would have said when you would have asked or you might read somewhere, how often should you train strings? What they would tell you is you would do it the same number of times you play a week. Yeah. Right. So for instance, yeah, that's not enough. The reality is now, with, particularly with polyester strings, and I'm not picking on polyester. It's just they are the more prominent string at the moment. So and we spoke earlier that they also lose their tension quicker. So for someone like you and most of the people in Ireland who haven't played for months on end because of COVID, it's you, you've had your racket strung. Your best thing now is cut out the strings and start fresh. 
yeah. regardless of what string you're using, because what you've got is you, when you have a string that's losing tension. So we spoke earlier about the lower tension gives you more power. When you have a string that's been in your racket and it's losing tension, it's not the same as a freshly strung string with low power, with low tension. Okay. One is dead, one is still fresh with its elasticity. And when a string becomes dead, you get more shock and vibration up into your arm. And that increases the risk then for injuries, shoulder, tennis, elbow, wrist, and stuff like that. So if you're playing regularly, if you're probably, if you're playing regularly, you may be breaking strings regularly anyway. If you're yeah. not breaking strings regularly, I would be saying to you two to three months maximum, regardless of your standard, treat it like a car. You're going to get your oil changed. You're going to get a service done regularly. Same with your racket. You've paid good money for the frame and the frame won't perform at its best if the strings aren't going to work inside it. Yeah. Now, one thing we just said about tension a while ago, the one other thing to consider with tension, particularly worldwide, even the same here, even though we're a lot hotter here in Doha, you should have a different tension in your racket in summer than you have in winter. Mm. Because in summer, you've got hotter weather, you've got kind of the air is thinner, the ball is livelier, it's going to travel through the air quicker. So you're going to need a bit more control. When you're playing in Ireland in the winter, you've got wet, heavy tennis balls. You're either on a wet clay court or a wet artificial grass court. Your strings are absorb absorbing moisture. Your arm is cold, so you're not going to have the same power behind the shot. So by dropping the tension during the winter, you help yourself with that power level. You don't see a massive drop off. Um, so that's important, whether you're a performance player or whether you're a club player, your tension summer and winter should be different. Okay, interesting one. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Um, and now I guess something else that you mentioned earlier on is, is kind of customization, um, which I guess is moving away from strings a little bit. Um, so uh, any kind of tips on different ways you can customize a racket? But I guess, yeah, firstly, the different things you can do that'll kind of count as customization and what the best way to go about that is. Is it necessary and how, how to do it? Customizing can be anything. It can be anything from you maybe putting two overgrips on the racket to make it more comfortable in your hand, or it can be to the extreme level like the professionals do, where they send their rackets off to professional companies to have all their rackets exactly matched. Now, in terms of us for players at home, if you only buy one racket, it won't matter. But if you're a performance junior or, or, or senior player and you go into any shop and you buy whatever racket you have, whether it be a Bablat or Wilson, whatever, you're going to see on the frame of the racket. Um, so like mine, I recently got a new Bablat VS Aeros. And the weight on the frame is 305 grams, plus or minus seven. Okay? okay. So what that plus or minus seven is telling you that Babalat will let the racket leave quality control in the factory at 298 grams or 312 grams. That's 14 grams of difference. That's massive difference. As a performance player, that's a massive difference. So what happens then is if you're in the middle of a match and you've not had these rackets matched, if you break a string, you go to your bag picking out for all intents and purposes, the same racket. And now all of a sudden you're overhitting the ball because you've gone for the, the heavier racket, more weight in the head, and it's driving through the ball. So it's very important for a performance player when they're in the shop, if the shop has a weighing scales, throw the two rackets on the scales and see, are yeah. they similar? Yeah. Um, if there's a big discrepancy, maybe pick another one. But to take it to the next level, to, to do proper customization, you need what's called a swing weight machine. Um, because when you pick up the racket, what you're actually feeling isn't the 305 grams of the racket. You're feeling what's the swing weight of the racket. And that's based on the balance and where the weight is within the racket. So that's the actual weight you feel. Uh, and that's 
the most important thing. So when the pros are getting their rackets matched, they're not getting the 305 grams matched. They're getting the swing weight figure matched so that the rackets all balance exactly the same. The weight is not exactly the same place so that when they do change their rackets, there's no break in period. It's literally the same thing and off we go again. So that's just something to be aware of. If you are going getting it done, make sure the person that's doing it, ideally that they're qualified because again, it was part of my course and it was, it was very, very informative. Things that I wasn't sure of or didn't know about where you put the weight has a massive bearing on how the racket will play. Um, and there's a lot of people, I see an awful lot of people with lead weight on their racket, but they've never actually measured the base weight of the racket. Yeah. So if you have that discrepancy that I spoke about earlier, you still have that discrepancy. You've just added more weight to it now. So it's find someone with a swing weight machine and yeah. tell them what you're looking for and, and, and off you go from there, yeah. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Um, and I guess we'll, um, I'll finish this up soon, Rob. Um, just, I guess, in terms of, I guess you mentioned earlier advice for people maybe interested in swinging and I guess in terms of sourcing information as well. So if, if you're just a player and I guess you've, you've listened to, to, to all that the last few minutes and, and you still have maybe some questions, what, what, what is the, are the best places to go for information on anything kind of racket swinging, et cetera? Again, I suppose, obviously, like, I'll share my email address with you if you want to put it out there at any stage or they can find it on whatever. Um, I'll answer any questions. I'll answer emails. There's no problem. Other than that, I would say to you, go to the two um, associations that I spoke about, either the European Racket Stringers Association or the US Racket Stringers Association. Now, I'm not belittling other people or belittling shops, but these are, uh, these are sources that I know are 100% accurate. Yeah. Other than that, I can give people's names and stuff. But like, that's the problem is you don't know each person. You don't know whether they've, they're qualified, whether they've done a bit of research themselves or whether they're just someone who's picked up a machine and started stringing. So at least with those two sources, you have two reputable sources. They have email addresses if you want to ask questions. Um, and subsequently, they'd probably put you in touch them with, right, these are the qualified people in Ireland um, and you can get it from there. Yeah, so it's really a matter of finding uh, someone who, who knows what they're talking about that you kind of you can you can get to know them you can get to, to trust them and, and kind of work yeah. with them like what things. i found over the years is each club will always have some self-proclaimed professional on things that they'll know everything and a lot of that it's done with goodwill it's done with kind of from their own experience but then a lot of the time to be fair they're not giving the correct advice um as was i in the case in, when i was in the shop for the first few years in the shop so what you might think is correct maybe the completely opposite um, so it's important when people are spending money on their good rackets they're spending money on their coaching to get that next level of of kind of acceptance and understanding is important for them to get the right information yeah yeah absolutely um, and yeah obviously a big thanks Rob just for all the information that you've, you've given I think I've found it very very useful and I guess I'll listen back to it, to it after and I'll, I'll pick up even more again I say the second time um, I just want to, to to finish up asking what is your favorite thing about tennis Ooh, um, I love the history of the game. I really, um, I mean, I grew up, I suppose Borg would be my idol. I, I love watching all sorts of players play, but Borg would be the one who I, I looked to as my idol. Um, I, I love the opportunities it can give you when you travel and you meet people. Like just to finish up and to give you the last thing, my opportunity yesterday even was one of those Gray's uh, masterpiece wood rackets. I got to strung string the racket yesterday for Fred Stolle 
Uh, and Fred is a former, he has 19 Grand Slams to his name. Um, so to be able to, at this stage, to string a racket for someone of his level, he was also awarded the Philip Chatterley ITF award yesterday. So it, it's the opportunities it gives you, the people that you can meet. Um, yeah, I just, I just love the history of the game really more than anything else. Uh, that's a great answer. Um, and yeah, no, Rob, a, a huge thanks once again just for, for coming on, for all the, uh, the information that, you, that you've shared. I've definitely found it useful and I hope other people, I'm sure other people will as well. Um, and yeah, I guess all, all the best with, with things in Doha and if, when you're back in, in Ireland as well. I hope, hope the summer is um, kind to you and, and to us all um, when, when you're back over. And yeah, big thanks. Yeah, thanks very much, Adam. I've really enjoyed the podcast today and I've really enjoyed previous podcasts listening to some players I've grown up with and uh, others who I know. But So very interesting, very good and very important for Irish tennis. So well done and thank you. A big thanks once again to Rob for his time and for all his great advice over that episode. I really did find it uh, a, a really useful episode. And as Rob mentioned towards the end, his email address is rob at racketrestringing.ie rob at racketrestringing.ie and i will also leave that in the description below so do feel free to get in touch with rob if you have any racket or string related queries that you'd like answered a big thanks for listening to this episode i hope you did enjoy it please do consider subscribing leaving a review a comment and also sharing the episode around with anybody else that you think might also take something from this episode it is much appreciated until next time I've been Adam and goodbye.